one, you are in the, uh, the marriage, habits of marriage breakout. Um, I'm Gavin Peacock, this is my wife Amanda. I, I'd like to open in a, just a word of prayer, dedicate this time to the Lord and for our edification. Father, we thank you for feeding us uh, so wonderfully this morning through your word and by your spirit. Um, thank you for the grace of the gospel, uh, the grace in which we stand and the means of grace. Uh, we thank you that uh, it was grace that taught our hearts to fear, but it's also grace that will lead us home. And as we talk about this uh, wonderful thing that is marriage, I pray that we would see it in its greater context of the marriage of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, to his bride, the church, the eternal, everlasting marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, well, lots of you I'm looking around uh, we know. So that's good. And I, I'd really like to, we've got about 40 minutes to be finished, right? So give you five minutes to get upstairs and then we're doing a Q&A uh, with myself, uh, Dave Mathis and, and Clint. Um, so that's, there's no break. It's like five minutes to get upstairs and in your seat. So um, I'd like to give opportunity for you to ask questions from the floor, okay? If you were in my talk this morning, you've had a lot of background, theological foundations of, of creation, marriage, and manhood and womanhood, um, but maybe you want some more in terms of the application. This is what this session is about, a theological application of the, of the principles uh, that I talked about uh, upstairs earlier. Um, so give you some chance to think about that. If you do... Uh, ask a question, nice and, if you can stand up, nice and loud, and then I'll, uh, I'll try and repeat the question for the sake of the recording, okay? So that's just a little bit down the line, I'll keep a, an eye on the, on the clock. Um, but Amanda and I have, have been married uh, for 35 years this year, um, married in 1989, uh, where I had a mullet. I think on our wedding day I might have been wearing more hairspray than she was. Such was the style of the day. Um, so we were married in 1989. Um, and uh, maybe I'll ask you, uh, Amanda, um, just to give a little bit, very briefly, of how we met. Uh, I just come to faith. Um, and we met at, uh, at a night school in London. So you maybe just give a brief uh, review of how we met and came to be married. Husband, you know I don't do brief. <laughs> <laughs> Hold it up tight. I'm not very good at being brief. So we met at evening classes. Um, Gavin had just, well, he hadn't long been a Christian, uh, about six months, I think it was. Um, I came from a um, home that was atheistic, uh, never been to church, uh, never really knew anything about God apart from what I learned at school. So I'd been on my own journey looking at Buddhism, Hinduism, transcendental meditation, you name it, I was looking at it. And then I met this man and he told me he was a footballer and that he was a Christian. And I thought that this was kind of a bit of an oxymoron. Those two things didn't kind of go together. So I was quite intrigued. Um, so over the course of our uh, history class, over the, the rest of that year, um, we got to know one another. He invited me along to his church. And to be fair, I only went because I thought he was really good looking. Um, <laughs> but the Lord used that 
and he exposed me to the truth of the gospel. And I met other young people my age, our age, who knew the Lord Jesus Christ, not only as their Lord and Savior, but as their friend. They had a personal relationship with this Savior that was quite remarkable to me. They had something that I didn't have. And so over the course of this time, I continued going to the church, even when Gavin wasn't there, and heard the gospel, and I was saved. And it was apparently a bit like C.S. Lewis's salvation. He got on a bus, an unbeliever, and got off a believer. I got on a train, an unbeliever, and got off a believer. Um, and then from that day to this, I've not looked back. Um, we, our friendship grew, and eventually Gavin asked me to date, and within a year we were married. And here we are, 30, almost 35 years later. 35 that's years. brief. <laughs> that's, that's brief. It's nice for you to hear from a man who've heard lots from me, but to, to hear from her. Um, just in this session, just wanted to kind of touch on a, a, on a few things. Um, when we got married, we, there was a natural, I think, uh, inclination for, for me to take initiative and, and maybe for Amanda to, to follow that initiative. But we, we didn't really know. We didn't have good teaching on what it means to, to be ahead of the home and, and what it means to, to submit to your husband and respect your husband and how that worked out. But, but in God's providence, in the first year of our marriage, we were taken, uh, there was an, a couple that we met. He was actually a vicar in a church, a, a conservative church in the UK. Uh, and he and his wife t took us under their wing. And um, they began to instruct us uh, as to what marriage looks like on the ground. And, and this picture of Christ in the church. And, and for me, what, what biblical headship looks like. And... And the, the guy's name was Tony. And he, I said to him, Tony, so what does it mean? What does it mean to be head of the home? He'd been talking about headship, headship. He said, it means this. And he took a, a piece of material out of his pocket. And it was a piece of towel, like a little piece of ripped off towel. He said, this is to remind me. He said, of that night, he said, when Jesus took a towel and wrapped it around his waist and went down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples, representing the bride of Christ, yeah? And uh, even when Peter said no and resisted that, he didn't throw in the towel and say, well, I've tried with you. He kept down low, he kept instructing, and uh, he led him to the truth. And, and he said, that's what biblical headship looks like. It is a servant leadership that sacrifices for the good of your uh, wife. And, and then I think it was a gradual growing in the understanding of that, so you can assent to that theo theologically, and you can see that there, then what does it look like in the every day of your marriage, when you're tired, when you're making decisions, and then when you have children and, and, and so on? Um, so if I was to maybe pose a question to you then, Amanda, um, how would you say, because if we think of Ephesians, and the passage in Ephesians 5 this morning, it starts, wives submit to your own husbands. Um, how has that looked like for you? What, does it, what did it look like and how have you grown in it, in your understanding of what it looks like to submit to a husband? So I think initially, um, 
I saw uh, the posture of submission as one that was lesser than, lesser than a leader. Um, I didn't really understand um, who I was as a woman created in the image of God. So initially, I, my submission to my husband and my respect for him would have been more mechanical um, and rather duty rather than from a heart disposition to respect him and to love respecting him and to love that position of uh, submission as, his, as him as my head. I think over the years, as I've grown in recognizing just God's design for man and woman, if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, you see how God has wonderfully made man and woman to be different and that neither is lesser than the other. And if we look at the example, even as we've been studying in our own church, the book of Philippians, you look at Philippians chapter 2, Christ is the epitome of headship, but he's also the epitome of submission. So when you consider verses like that, it really does change the way that you think and how God has designed us, man and woman, to fit together in a complementary way. So for me now, I think one of the key verses, or words rather, <coughs> phrases if you like, in Ephesians is, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. So when I submit to my husband, when I respect my husband, it is as if I'm submitting and respecting Christ, my Lord and Savior. So that's the way I would say that I've grown. Yeah, so keeping the, the, the high view in mind, uh, fueled by the, the knowledge of who you are as a child of God, a woman of, uh, of God in Christ, uh, then takes you away from me and my feelings or me and my rights to him and his glory and this glorious thing that we are privileged to be part of in this, this one flesh uh, union. Um, would you like to give some of the women in here some, maybe some tips in how that kind of has, has worked out or can work out in a marriage <clears throat> in terms of um, speech mm -hmm. um, to, towards your husband, in terms of, uh, you know, because you are to be your husband's helper, right? If you remember in the talk, I said, it, this submission is a posture you take recognizing God's order there, placing yourself un under that for your good, his glory. Um, but you are to be his helper. The body gives feedback to the head, that, that kind of thing. So, and, and maybe even if I've uh, at times then, as had suggested something, said maybe we should do this, and we've discussed it, but we've come to me saying, I think we should do this, and you've, you've thought differently. You thought, well, maybe, no, I think it'd be better if we didn't, but still going with what I've said. A few things there. You don't have to get to them all. Okay. Um, so I think, really, um, submission is about trusting in the Lord and trusting in God and what he says in his word, um, especially when you come to phrases like, you know, submit to your husband in everything. Um, they're hard phrases sometimes to understand and then put into practice. But when we know that the character of the person who has given us this word, our God, our Lord, our Savior, our Father, our helper, our counselor, 
then we know that God's word is good and what he says is for our benefit and for our flourishing. So for me as a woman, um, to, to see my husband as head is a high and holy calling. And as Elizabeth Elliot said, a woman's submission is actually her strength because it's no small thing to submit to a man but I trust in my Lord and Saviour first and foremost before I trust in my husband. So I trust that the Lord is doing me good. So in terms of practical uh, things to do, um, I was trying to think about this, but it, for women it's kind of like um, when you're talking with your husband, um, you know, think about what you're going to say, how you're going to say it, when you're going to say it, and the tone in which you're going to say it. So for instance, your husband's been out at work all day, he comes home, you greet him at the door looking like a real sourpuss because you've had a terrible day. Do you know what a sourpuss is? <laughs> she throws in English phrases now and again. It means your miserable face. Miserable, right? You've, got, you've had a terrible day and you're just about to download everything onto your husband before he's even stepped over the threshold. My suggestion is, Feed him first. <laughs> Feed him first and then do that. No, but seriously, your husband, it's like, I can't remember who said it now, but someone, a man actually said, you want to be the kind of wife that your husband is sorry to leave in the morning, but glad to come home to in the evening. So you might not necessarily feel like you've had a great day, but your husband is also coming home from a long day at work. Greet him with a smile and a kiss. Greet him with a, a home-cooked meal. And then, once the children are in bed, if you have children, then discuss your day once he's had time to kind of decompress from his day at work. So that would be one thing. Um, How about speech uh, in terms of respectful speech? Right. Working on that. Yeah, so working on respectful speech is something that I've really worked hard on because I think... William Shakespeare had it right. It's women like taming the shrew. Got a laugh there. That's funny. We're shrews. We need taming. And one of the things that needs taming is our tongue. And one of the um, verses that's been really helpful to me is 2 Corinthians 10.5, where it talks about, um, you know, arguments and lofty opinions, which was one of the things, oh, it's been mentioned in a few of the talks over this weekend, how, we're, uh, how the world imposes itself upon us and tells us what we ought to think and how we ought to behave. But this passage talks about taking every thought captive to obey Christ and put to death every disobedience. So for me, I've found it so helpful to really put this into practice and asking the Lord to give me wisdom and understanding of how to speak respectfully to my husband. And it's okay, you know, run the conversation through your head. You know you're going to have this conversation. Think about what you're going to say. Rehearse what you're going to say. Do, how is that going to be received by your husband? What does it sound like to your own ears? What is he going to hear as you say it? And it sounds like a very laborious process, and initially it is, but then it's like one of those spiritual disciplines. It's training yourself in godliness. It becomes a reflexive action. So then you're thinking and doing it at the same time. So then it becomes part of your natural DNA, as it were. 
it happens automatically. It's like a reflex. Um, and that's what I've tried to do over the years. Yeah, and I'm, I can attest that there's been a massive mm. growth just in the way that Amanda speaks to me and that, that respectful speech. And any uh, husband in here would, would testify. When a woman speaks respectfully to you, your wife speaks respectfully to you, you want to die for them. You want to you lay down your life. Now, you should, you should be laying down your life anyway, and we'll get to this headship, love, sacrificial thing in a minute. Uh, but it does endear that. And what it does is, when, ladies, when you, uh, when you speak respectfully to your husband in a timely way, um, you are helping him become a better leader because you're drawing out of him this sacrificial love that he wants to... Uh, literally uh, die for you. And so, um, and you'll notice when Amanda was speaking there, and I certainly noticed it, it, and a lot of you are nodding, a lot more of you nodding than in my sermon this morning, by the way, when she was speaking, um, is it's very God-centered, isn't it? Her thing is, it's not ultimately about me, though it is in concerning me, it's about the Lord. It's about the Lord's honor. It's going to the Lord. It's asking. And that is God-empowered wifedom, if you like, uh, when you see it like that in prayer, word, and then worked out in some of those ways um, on the ground. Um, I'm aware of time ticking on, um, but I just want to speak in terms of um, uh, a husband then leading like Christ. Uh, talked a little bit uh, about that um, this morning in my talk, um, but just for guys in here, recognizing, remember that position as head, it's, it's not a, a request, it's not a command, it's a fact. You are a head, you are the head of the home. It's just what kind of head are you? And you're to love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her even when she's not being lovable. And that's, that's, a, that's a key. It's easy, isn't it? When She's being agreeable and everything's going swimmingly in the relationship. But when she's being awkward, when she might be even sinning, when things aren't going great, you don't feel like just laying your life down for her, making that sacrifice. But, uh, but that's why, again, you've got to have that vertical view. You must be as Christ unto her. That's what Puritans used to say. You are not Christ, but you must be as Christ. It is a high and holy calling to, to be a husband. And you assume that role in recognition that you're a man under authority representing Christ to your wife in this picture of the gospel that's going on. And, and prayerfully getting that picture in view and prayerfully approaching it is key. So uh, even a practical thing for guys as you're, you're coming home, back into the house from a hard day's work, and you deserve to put your feet up and be fed and pampered your work is just beginning when you get home, right? Because a lot of guys go, oh, I'm out there providing. Yeah, and they use that excuse, I'm, I'm physically providing, but your spiritual provision is zero. You're not doing the, the first and first thing right, and that is loving your wife as Christ loved the church. She's been given to you to nurture, to cherish, for, uh, for her sanctification, so that at the end of your life you say, here, Lord, here's the wife you gave me. And look at her now. What a thing. What a precious thing. And woe betide you if you abuse that. Woe betide you. So there, there comes this very, very real borrowed authority. Yeah? 
but it's couched in love and it works its way out in protection and provision angled in that first relationship to your wife, not to your children first, but to your wife. And, and you get a husband who loves like Christ, and you never get round the crucified Christ for your model of biblical manhood. You get a husband who loves like, like that, what godly woman wouldn't want to follow? Yeah? And so it works both ways. As you, as you love her like that, she's going to endear respect from her and a, and a willingness to submit. And when she respects and, and submits, it just endears that loving sacrifice from the other, even though you can do it without the necessary right response from the other. So that's, that's key to remember at the, at the basic level. It's a little distraction. My little grandson's just walked in there. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to give maybe five more minutes. Have we got a few questions, perhaps? Right, okay. If you've got questions, just put your hands up now, just so I can gauge how many questions we've got coming from the floor. Three, minimum three. Can't believe Akeen's not got a question. Um, <laughs> he might have one, but at least three. There should be some more, come on. Okay, I'll ask you, Amanda. What about if you are a, a woman in here, and how can you be a submissive and respectful wife when you're not a wife? Or how can you prepare to be a submissive and respectful wife when you're not a wife? In other words, you don't become a biblical woman when you get married. You are a biblical woman when you're a Christian woman. Okay, so how does that work if you're a single woman in here? First of all, I think it's recognizing who God created you to be. You are a woman. And essentially, if we look at Genesis 1 and 2, God created woman to be a helper and a mother to go forth to be fruitful and multiply. So you've got those two things there, helper and mother. Um, a wife is a helper that is fit for her own husband. But women in general... Art should be helpers and cultivating being helpers. And then if you look to Genesis 3, where Adam names woman Eve, Eve's name means mother of all living. So embracing, kind of uh, inferred in that title, as it were, is this understanding that she is a nurturer, she is a carer, she makes things grow and flourish. And so for women, we ought to be cultivating those kinds of qualities. And if you're not married, that doesn't matter because you are still a woman and you are a woman 24-7. So although I am a woman and I have a husband, there is a way that I can be with other men that um, encourages them to be biblical men. So simple examples like, you know, allow a guy to open a door for you. Take the seat that he offers you, you know, instead of being this kind of woman that says, I can open the door for myself, thanks. I don't need your seat. So in embracing the differences between men and women, allowing a guy to carry a heavy load for you. I know these sound really like simple, silly almost examples, but they are examples that are few and far between these days because women don't, they don't reverence men in the way that they used to. 
it's, it's now uh, feminism has come in and women originally, they wanted to be like men or as good as men, equal with men. Then they wanted to be like men and now they want to be better than men. And now they want to be men. Yes, and now they want to be men. Literally. <laughs> um, so I think, I think just re kind of recapturing God's vision for womanhood and manhood. And there are ways that we can do this, whether we are married or single. And so if you aren't, everyone, every woman, whether she is married or single, can be a mother. You can be a spiritual mother. I've got more spiritual children than I have biological children, and I'm so very thankful to the Lord for that. And this is the way that the Lord intended the church to be. Not everyone has a biological mother. Maybe the mother has died, or maybe the mother abandoned them when they were small and they grew up in an orphanage. Um, there, are mother, there are those women that have mothers that aren't Christians, so they don't get the spiritual guidance that a Christian mother, mother would have given them. God has given us the church um, to give us the spiritual mothers that we need. Yeah, that's really important, is the church is the bigger family. And in the church, uh, Paul speaks about uh, the church in familial terms. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and, and 2, he spoke, speaks about brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in the church. So in the church is where you cultivate these familial relationships, but they're gender specific as well. Fathering, mothering. Um, and so it, it, it is that manhood and womanhood working its way out in, in the church. That's why the, for single mothers in the church, they find this, this place where there's this family and, and they can receive even appropriate uh, male care or protection, uh, maybe even uh, role models for their sons and daughters in what a biblical man should look like in the church family as they see spiritual fathers and, and, and brothers around them and so on. And I would add to, to say if you're a, a young man who's looking for uh, those qualities, those Ephesians 5 qualities in a wife, um, those Proverbs 31 qualities, those uh, qualities that you, you see in a, examples of, a, a, of an Abigail or a, or a Mary or, or what have you, is how do you know if she's going to be a submissive wife to you? Well, look how she submits to authorities over her already in her life. You know, if she's a younger girl, how does she submit to her father in, in the home, and how does she submit to the elders in the church, and what about her boss in the workplace? Is she got a rebellious spirit against authority structures? That will give you a bit of a clue as to what she might be like uh, as a wife. Um, and, and, and how do you know what to look for in, in, in that guy, that, that Christ-like Ephesians uh, 5 guy? I mean, some of you girls might have to lower your expectations. It's not going to be Mr. Perfect, okay, whilst you're looking for those qualities. But look for the seeds. And is he humble? Is he humble? Will he grow? Those kind of things. They're key. Because not every guy is gonna, has been brilliantly taught. And not every guy is right there. But are there seeds? And is he growing? And is he moving? And how does he respond to authority over him? Because let me say this. Um, if a man who is a good head in the home, or is a good leader in the home, is he responds well to authority over him. If you don't, if you're rebellious against authority, you will not use authority well when it's given to you. 
That's why I look around at some of our guys here and I see them from single to married and I look and go, one of the reasons is that they're good heads of their home, over their wives, is they sit well under authority structures over them and they've learned. And so you can entrust them with, with that woman in that way. So they're just a few tips. Let's um, get on to some questions from the floor. Uh, uh, Joel's got one already. Joel? Two. Two. Announce them as loud as you can. Three tips for breaking bad habits that have been brought into marriage. And three tips for building good habits in marriage. And three tips for building good habits in marriage. So bad habits coming into marriage, a tip for breaking, and then a tip for building. You want to, have you got a, a, one tip? One tip on breaking, one tip on building? Hmm, one tip on breaking so far. Um, one tip on breaking would be die to yourself. Um, seek the interests of the other, other above your own. Because um, when you get married, obviously, you are living with someone who is equally as sinful as you are. Okay. Uh, what, uh, a tip for, for breaking bad habits that you bring into a marriage is uh, asking the Lord to reveal the bad habit. You might not realize that you've got the habit, so, so that would be number one. I've got to know it to break, to break it. Um, and I think asking the Lord to do that, live it, and, and this will come as well in, in terms of living in a community of believers. They might be able to point them out to you. Because it's going to be revealed when you're in that tight, closest personal relationship. Habits, bad habits you brought in will be revealed. Um, so, yeah, praying for that and, uh, and maybe asking for someone else to point that out. In con connection to that, I would say um, post-marital counsel is as important as pre-marital counsel. So I've been saying to, we got a few couples getting married this year. Um, after you've been married, seek out an older couple in the church that you might meet with now and again for some counsel on your marriage and, and ask them to even help you or draw out these bad habits and help correct them. Always with regards to correction is the very word of God, you know, itself. The word of God is powerful to change. So going to the word of God, seeing where you, where this habit contradicts your walk as a child of God, and particularly as a Christian husband or a Christian wife, and then seeking by the power of God according to the word that he would correct that, and then acting, acting as you ought to, as you ought to act. I think there's probably in there you can do th pull out three things or three things. That is, it's not it's not exact, um, but that's good. It's it's good and it's good to to think that way, Joel. About because we do we bring and we don't realise. I saw a video a couple of years ago. You know the old camcorders that we used to have in in the 1990s. I've told a couple of you this already, and uh, we were at Amanda's dad's house down in the south of England and. Ava was a baby and Jake was a toddler and uh, I didn't know who was taking the video but I walk past Amanda in the kitchen and she tries to say something to me and I gruffly spoke to her as I walked off out the door and I was like, oh. I didn't, like it was like looking at this you know, horror film. Is that, really what, is that really how I spoke to my wife? But you see, 
I probably had some bad habits that I'd brought in the, and, and they needed breaking uh, over time. And, uh, and that's what the Lord does. Is the great thing is he can redeem the years and he does work changing us. And that's the wonderful, hopeful thing about a Christian marriage is that the Lord is changing and you've always got somewhere to go. I can always be a more Christ-like husband and love her better, and she can always be more church-like as she ought to be in her submission and respect. And so we, we don't, you don't just hit a ceiling and that's it. You're always going somewhere, and that's a great and hopeful thing about, um, about Christian marriage. Aidan. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess in that instance I was thinking more of the stay-at-home mum but even if you're um, a woman who goes out to work like the Proverbs 31 woman your household should come first because that's your domain and talk about taking dominion and having habits so for a wife then if she goes out to work is to think about her week and think about meal planning for instance planning meals ahead of time, maybe freezing those meals so that they're available, um, not overcommitting herself. Um, I know that we can all do this, but women in particular can overextend themselves, overcommit themselves, make friendships almost as important as the marriage relationship so that the husband is no longer the priority. So there's nothing wrong with a woman going out to work if she doesn't have children at home and she's going out and bringing money in. Um, but she should still maintain that priority of husband and home over her work. So that, I don't know if you just said that, I was thinking, but you could say then she might, at the weekend, make some meals for the week, yeah. be and I organized. Know, I know women who do that. Women that do that, yeah, so planning ahead is key. And on that, before I go to the lady here for the next question, is planning. So guys, set the tone in your home. Planning, have a meeting with your wife uh, once a week or every other week where you sit down and you look ahead to the next week or two and set the priorities. Look at, look at things together and set biblical priorities. And, and you might have to get rid of some things here and, and then she's too tired there so you, you take that load off and, and those kind of things. So planning is key. Planning is key. And so then working that in, uh, to having some time together, let, you know, busy, uh, especially when kids come along, um, date night or a planning day or something like that where you go out together, use, your grand, use the grandparents if you can. That's what they're there for. They have them and then they give them back at the end of the day. But they give you a chance to get a bit of a breather where you can actually, okay, and now we can, we're being better husband and wife and, and better parents. Yeah, sorry, Lady Hips. Your, your name, sorry? Janet. Um, Amanda, you, you said that submission is about trust. And Gavin, this morning you said um, you know, a, a woman should follow her husband except into sin. So he might lead her, assuming it's not into sin, but it might be a, a bad idea. <laughs> Let's say the husband has an idea and we're going to do it. And Amanda, you said it, it's about 
about trust, you're going to trust him. Can you talk about the tension between offering counsel and, and following him anyway and doing that respectfully? Great question. Yeah. So, so for the sake of the recording, this is a, uh, so Amanda has talked about su submission as actually trusting in the Lord and his design. Um, and then I'd spoken about, um, you know, a woman uh, following her husband where it is not sin, but what about when he's uh, set forth a vision for them and she thinks it's not the wisest, nor the best, or not what she would choose. How would she then approach that? as a counselor and helper to him. While still being submissive. While still being submissive mm. and respectful. It's a great question and probably happens a lot in our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she was so keen to get the mic. She's, she's an expert in this, on this question. <laughs> so we're to be helpers, right? And part of that means uh, to offer counsel. And as I said before, it's about what you say, when you say it, how you say it, and the tone with which you say it. So picking the right time, um, thinking through ahead of time what you might say. If, so say, for instance, when uh, my husband said he was going to go into full-time ministry, I wasn't happy. Um, so it was kind of like I had all these red flags that I would bring up, but a lot of those red flags were actually very simple, selfish red flags. They weren't actually oriented to the Lord. So in those instances, I think where um, a husband is maybe making a, mis uh, a decision that the wife doesn't necessarily understand or doesn't necessarily agree with, making time to sit down and ask your husband how he's arrived at this decision, um, concerns that you might have, and then voicing those concerns. Um, and then trusting the Lord, and this is the thing, you, the Lord calls um, a wife to submit to her husband and to respect him, and he, he will be the one that will make the final decision on something. So then the wife has to then leave it in the Lord's hands. She's made her appeal to her husband as respectfully as she can, and then she prays for the Lord to act on her behalf and trust the, the outcome of that with the Lord. Um, knowing that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. So, yeah. That's really good. And then you, you've probably even, you know, bring it up every time necessarily, but seen where in that patient waiting and praying, maybe the Lord has changed my mind, mm. right? Because we live a yeah. supernatural life here. Um, I mean, I throw, I'm a bit more of a visionary, so I'll throw, let's move to Canada, you know? <laughs> And I'm looking at Leona Dirksen here, Leona and Norm Dirksen. Um, Norm was the uh, pastor of the church we went to in, in Banff for many years, and we were very friendly with Norm and Leona. And I just remember, you know, talk, those days of talking through going. And, and we, but you see, a good head then, he's going for consensus. He doesn't want to drag his wife where she doesn't want to go. He, he's not saying, we're going there and you're coming with me. So if, if my wife brings up concerns or uh, maybe some objections even about moving to Canada, okay, let's pray about it. Let's revisit it. Let's revisit And I want to go for consensus because I want unity. But if we come to a point of decision or an impasse, then it is the responsibility of the head to make that decision. That's what it's about, Right. Uh, it's not just the right, it's the responsibility. And then, as head, you shoulder 
you shoulder it. You don't say, hey, see, I told you I was right if it went right, or uh, if it goes wrong, you protect her from the fallout, okay? So that's, that's where it comes in. But, but that's, that's a really good question, and it takes some time to, to work those things through. I think we've got time for one more question. Yes, lady there, sorry, what's her name? Georgia. Do you mean um, a believer and an unbeliever? Yeah. yeah. You're, and, the, and the woman's a believer? Yeah. So then your text to go to would be 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. So if you look in, even in Ephesians, it, there's no qualifier about whether um, the husband or the wife is a, is a believer in terms of um, those orders, uh, the ordering, the mandates that God has given for the husband to be the head and the wife to be the helper, Christ and the church. Those roles aren't reversible. But if you just turn to 1 Peter 3. Oh, yeah, thanks. Okay. So if you see 1 Peter 3, it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So they're not, it's not talking about a wife never saying anything, but the, the man has obviously, the husband has obviously heard the gospel and is refused to believe the gospel. But there is such a way that the woman, it, it's this um, inner work of the Holy Spirit working in the heart of the woman so that she submits to her husband and she respects him, even if he's not necessarily a great leader even if he's an unbeliever, in the hope that then she might win him to Christ through her conduct. And that's what we're doing in the world, isn't it? We're defining manhood and womanhood, and especially in marriage as a picture of the gospel, so that the world can see. So the world then gets this picture of Christ and the church. So hopefully that's something that then this husband will see in his wife and he will come to faith, never giving up hope. And, and you notice there that in that text is the emphasis is not on her conversation, it's on her conduct. Mm. You aren't gonna, you're not going to win an unbelieving husband by nagging and getting at him and, and, to, and just back. No, but let him see your wise conduct. And, and that's the thing is your conduct. And that takes wisdom. And we've had uh, ladies in, these, in our church over the years who have been married to unbelieving husbands. And the Lord has given them great wisdom in how they might deal with that. Reading the Bible and in front of him might put him off, might make him annoyed. So she, she does her devotions at another time of day away from him. And all of these kinds of things. And then you find that in the, in the, in the company of the church family, she finds a, a strength and a help and some counsel to help her through. Um, but the, but the, you know, marriage is a creation ordinance and it's there from the beginning. It's not a Christian ordinance as such, it's creation. That's why marriage stands across the world and that's why we stand for the goodness of marriage because there is a common grace goodness in a right marriage between a man and a woman um, that we know points to Christ and the church even if many don't out there. 
Okay, I want to give us time to get upstairs now. Um, we could talk for a lot longer. I hope there's been a few little nuggets in there. Feel free to ask some more questions. And let, let me pray briefly before we go. Lord, thank you for this time we've had together. Uh, even from the word that we've looked at, from the questions that we've had, I pray that you bless all marriages in here according to your word. And I pray, pray that you'd even create new marriages as we pray for those who truly desire uh, to be married and put on this wonderful picture of Christ in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just as you make your way upstairs, they're just finishing up, just trying to be mindful.